Aren't they amazing? It's great when God provides the gifts and the skills, and the Lord's blessed us here for many, many years. Thank you, everyone. What a blessing to be in the house of the Lord. Would you say amen to that? Well, there are people watching online as well. We welcome you, and these are the countries that we know are watching right now. Canada, which is where I am originally from, and Denmark, England, poor England, after last night, I'm sorry. France, people are watching from France. You are celebrating, I know that. Germany, Honduras, India, Ireland, Italy, Malaysia, Netherlands, Norway, Philippines, Singapore, Slovakia, Sweden, and the U.S. of A. We've got a lot of friends in the house tonight. I want to especially acknowledge Mark and Don Running. Would you stand pastors in at Church on the Hill in Lacombe, Alberta, Canada. They do an amazing thing every year to bless Israel. They take up a first fruits offering every January, and it's an amazing offering per capita. I don't know if I know any congregation in the world that gives such a large offering, and they've done it for six or seven years and blessed especially a manna kitchen and helping with congregational planting through King of Kings as well. We thank you. And your great friends, you're hanging with us, living in our place for a while, and we're, we still like you. Yeah. <laughs> There's a group here tonight from International Commission. Where are you? Can't see you too well. Up here, somewhere, up here. All right, good to see you. And we've got a group from Rock of Israel Ministries led by Robert Spector, somewhere over there. I believe we met up in the summit on the 21st floor of the building just before the service. It was great to hang with you guys as well. Well, I'm going to share a message this evening. Um, I'm going to need a lot of extra help from the Lord tonight. I was just completing my message about two o'clock this afternoon, and I'm about to preach on the laver, the washing basin from the tabernacle, because we are in that series on the tabernacle in the temple called We Are the Temple. And guess what happened? I spilled a half a glass of water on my computer. But that's appropriate, isn't it? The water basin, the, the labor. So um, I was able to recover most of my notes. And maybe there's some stuff that I'll come back to my memory as I'm sharing the word tonight. But we're going to be sharing that. Let me ask the Lord for help, okay? Father, thank you that your word is alive. It's transformative. It can change us from deep within. But ultimately, you're the one who changes us through the word that you proclaimed and was written down for our aid in this time. Lord, help me, Lord, to proclaim your word clearly with your anointing. May your spirit have our ears open to hear your word and our hearts ready to be changed. In Yeshua's name, amen. So we were looking at various elements in the tabernacle and the temple, and Pastor Chad last week took us to the altar of burnt offering. And uh, nearest to that is another element in the court of the temple, and that is the laver. The laver, it's the washing basin. Now, as we're going through this series, we understand that there's greater symbolism in those elements in the tabernacle and temple that point to spiritual realities. We also know that these elements are really copies of what is true in heaven, as we've shared with you. As according to the book of Hebrews, we see that time and again. 
In a few minutes, we're going to give our attention to this laver, this washing basin. But first of all, I want us to be reminded that we are not only the temple of God's Holy Spirit, but we are also priests in that temple. But let me begin by reading in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 19 and following. Therefore, you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. And we see Paul here writing to Gentiles primarily and saying to them, hey, you're included in all of this. You are grafted in among the people of Israel and their faith in Messiah with the redeemed of the Lord. We're included in this being the temple and being the priests in that temple. Now we go on to verse 20. Having been built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Yeshua the Messiah himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom the whole building being fit together grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. But we are also priests. And it goes all the way back to Exodus chapter 19, verse 6, the mandate that God gave to the Jewish people. We read in Exodus 19:6 these words, And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. But Paul gives us this perspective that even those who are Gentiles are called to be similar priests and holy unto the Lord. And where do we find that? First Peter chapter 2 and verse 9. The first part of the verse goes like this. But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people. Now, 1 Peter 2.9, the second half of the verse, reveals to us one of the main reasons God has called us to be his priests. What is our purpose? It says that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. We are priests that we might proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. This word proclaim the praises of him. The word proclaim in the original Greek can can be translated in various ways, and you will see it translated differently in various versions of the Bible. In the New King James, it's to proclaim. In the King James Version, it's to show forth. And in the New Living Translation, it is to show others. In other words, we are called to proclaim and preach the good news of salvation, but For our message to be convincing, we must practice what we preach. We must show the gospel as much as we proclaim the gospel. Otherwise, people will not be convinced that they should praise him or leave their darkness and come into his marvelous light. And this brings me to the laver, the wash basin at the tabernacle. We will see that priests who are called to proclaim and preach must make sure their lives back up what they proclaim. And so we read this in Exodus chapter 35, verses 30 to 32. And Moses said to the children of Israel, See, the Lord has called by name Bezalel, the son of Uri, the son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah. And he has filled him with the Spirit of God in wisdom and understanding and knowledge and all manner of workmanship to design artistic works. I mean, just a little aside here, I was just walking near a brand new college that has just been built, and it's still 
not quite complete yet, and yet we see classrooms there with all kinds of pieces of equipment, and it's called the Betzalel School of Art or College of Art. It's right by City Hall. It is incredible. It is beautiful. Almost all glass and pointing toward the Mount of Olives and the Temple Mount. And in there, people are learning how to design beautiful works. My daughter-in-law studied at Betzalel when it was in a very small, cramped place, but now this beautiful place. And so it's the same person, Betzalel, we would say in English, Bezalel, who was called to make these various pieces of furniture and elements in the tabernacle, the tabernacle of Moses. So we read now in verse four, uh, chapter 40 of Exodus, verses 32, 30 to 32, Bezalel set the laver between the tabernacle of meeting and the altar and put water there for washing, and Moses, Aaron, and his sons would wash their hands and their feet with water from it. Whenever they went into the tabernacle of meeting, and when they came near the altar, they washed as the Lord had commanded Moses. Just two days ago, I was down by the Western Wall, and uh, Pastor Mark took a picture of me beside a washing basin. There might be a photograph. I'm not sure. It may have gotten lost in my computer crash today. But there were spouts at that labor. And any time a man would go to the Western Wall to pray, he would wash his hands from one of those spouts. It was a lot like the labor of the scriptures. Very interesting. A fascinating detail concerning this labor, at least in the original tabernacle, is what we read in Exodus chapter 38, verse 8. It says he made a labor of bronze and its base of bronze from the bronze mirrors of the serving women who assembled at the door of the tabernacle of meeting. Two fascinating things. One is, women were serving at the tabernacle of meeting in the courtyard. They had a role to play, a significant role to play. Second of all, it was not a mistake that God asked Bezalel to create this laver, this washing basin, with the mirrors of the women. Why? Because when you go to the laver, you go to be cleansed, to prepare the priests to go into the holy place and for the high priest once a year to go into the most holy place. When you go to the basin, there's a reflection. You see the, your face, if you look into the water, the surface of the water reflects, and then the mirrors of the women reflect the rest of you, and you get to see what you're really like. Now, back in those days, mirrors were not as readily available as ours, but it might have been a shock to some of those priests to see what they really looked like that day. I really should have combed my hair. <laughs> well, he had a turban on. But anyway, maybe he had a lot of dirt on one side of the face and didn't realize it, and nobody had the guts to tell him, you didn't clean your face this morning. Whatever. They, there was a reflection. James chapter 1, verse 23 and 24, compares the word of God to a mirror. It says here, anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like a man observing his natural face in a mirror. For he observes himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. So the word of God is like a mirror, and we should not forget what we look like. And we should often go to the word to know what we really look like. 
A.W. Tozer wrote, an honest man with an open Bible with a pad and pencil is sure to find what is wrong with him very quickly. <laughs> now, I have, for over 30 years, in my quiet time before the Lord in the morning, followed the path of the priests. I actually cover every element at the tabernacle, coming into his gates with thanksgiving. That's one element. Going to the laver, confessing my sins. And the word of God helps me <laughs> know what those sins are. I get convicted every time. Maybe it's not an act that I've done in the last 24 hours, but maybe a thought that was not clean or a thought that was with wrong motivations. I go to the altar, and that's where I look at Romans chapter 12 and verse 1, where it says that uh, we are to offer ourselves as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God, which is our reasonable worship. What are we doing there? We're repenting. We're saying, okay, I see my sin, Lord. I'm convicted. I'm sorry for that. But if you don't repent, that's not very helpful. You got to put yourself on the altar and say, today I rededicate myself again to your purposes to leave that sin behind and go and walk in your light and serve you faithfully. Go to the table of showbread, which reminds me of the bread of life, Yeshua, but it also reminds me of his word, and that's why we need to be in his word. The menorah, thinking of the lamp of God who shines his light through his word, and we get to know the path. It's a lamp to our feet, and it's the, also symbol, symbolic of the Holy Spirit who enlightens us. And so I pray in the Spirit every time I'm meeting with him in the morning. Then I go to the altar of incense and then pray for others standing in the gap on their behalf, which is a very important priestly duty. And then as I've gone through that process, generally speaking, I feel that I'm closer to the Lord, sometimes overwhelmed at his presence, and I feel like I've entered the Holy of Holies. I'm not saying everybody needs to do this, but I think it's a wonderful pattern, and it's worked for me for 30-some years. And the labor is so important. The place where we confess our sins. Where we say, Lord, I want to walk in the light. We get vulnerable before the Lord. And we allow his spirit to do an investigation. And point out the areas that we need changing in. Now, why would we need to keep going to a labor? I, I thought Yeshua died for our sins and, and then cleansed our sins and like we're brand new creations. Why would I have to keep going back to the labor and confess sin? Well, let me quote what uh, John says in 1 John chapter 1, verse 8 and 10. It says, if we say we have no sin, he's speaking to believers here, we, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Then in verse 10, if we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. If we don't pay attention to the word of God, if we're not in his word daily, we could easily deceive ourselves into thinking we're pretty good people. As soon as you get into the word, you're challenged by the word and you realize you've got a long ways to go yet. 
The laver is a picture of God's work of sanctification in our lives. Sanctification simply means the process of becoming more holy. If we have put our trust in Yeshua and in his sacrifice on the cross, acknowledging that he took our punishment for our sins, we come into a legal position of justification. But there is a difference between justification and sanctification. Justification means that we have decided to follow Yeshua, determined to follow him until the end, until he returns. We're legally children of God. We become new creations. That's our new legal standing. Our old identity is even gone. We're a brand new person. But sanctification is something else. Justification, just as if I've never sinned. When God looks at me, that's how he sees me. But we have to live up to the standing that we have. If you're married, you are legally committed in a covenant relationship with someone else. But how many of you know if you're married, you need to live up to your legal standing and make sure your marriage is a real marriage. Not just living in the same household, but one flesh, walking together in harmony and serving God together. Not sinning against each other, not cheating on one another. In the same way, it's that with justification, we have this legal position. We're even married to God. We are the bride of Messiah. But we need to live up to who we are in our legal position. How many of you got this so far? Sometimes there's some confusion between justification and sanctification. So radical is our justification that our whole identity changes. I said that. Sin, then, is an exception to the rule, not the rule. When we are new creations, then we're new people. I don't like to say that I'm just a sinner saved by grace. I like to say I am a new creation. And sometimes I sin, but that's the exception to the rule. The rule is I serve God and give glory to his name. Would you agree with that theology? I think it's important. It says in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1, walk worthy of the calling with which you were called. Live up to your standing. Here's another passage, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 12, walk worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. I worry a lot about people who take the grace of God for granted. I'm saved, so I'm safe. Yeah, I'm sinning, but thank God I'm saved and nothing can separate me from the love of God. You know, nothing can separate you from the love of God, but sin can separate you from God. There's a distinction there, isn't it? Nothing can separate us from the love of God because he loves everybody, even his enemies. Even me, even you. But sin can separate us from God. Listen to this, Isaiah chapter 59 and verse 2. But your iniquities, or sin, have separated you from your God. And your sins have hidden his face from you, so that he will not hear. Remember, we're priests, right? A priest is to teach the people, proclaim, live up to the proclamation, practice what they preach, convince people to, 
to praise God, to worship Him, and to live in the light, His marvelous light. But another role of the priest is to be someone who stands in the gap on behalf of others. We talk about intercessors. They stand in the gap. We pray on behalf of others. Well, what if a priest continues to live in sin? That intercession comes to an end. There is no prayers. There are no prayers being heard by God. That's what it says. Not in that verse, but in another verse, which we'll come to in just a moment. A.W. Tozer said, We are not cleansed by Christ so that we may immerse ourselves continually in fresh dirt, but in order that our purity may serve the glory of God. What happens at the labor? We confess our sins. In the Judeo-Christian tradition, the acknowledgement of sinfulness is regarded as necessary to obtain divine forgiveness. That's good theology. It's good soteriology, the the study of salvation. In the Jewish encyclopedia, we read this. The common formulas for confession of sins in the Christian church being in the main exactly like those of the synagogue. The conclusion is to be drawn that they go back to pre-Talmudic times. The words forgive, remit, pardon, O God, our offenses, voluntary and involuntary, committed knowingly or in in ignorance, by transgression or through omission. It's prayed in the synagogue. It's prayed in our, supposedly, in our congregations. But I have observed, as one who's grown up in an evangelical tradition and then identified with the messianic body, I do not hear a lot of prayers of confession in our main gatherings. And sometimes we don't even hear it in our small groups, which is the best place to confess confess our sins, especially one to another. I went to seminary at a place called Wycliffe College at the University of Toronto. I hate to tell you, it was over 40 years ago. Went back to study to do further studies, and I thought, man, I don't know if I have enough brain cells left to do this. But somehow they graduated me at a Wesleyan school, Asbury Seminary, a few years ago. But one thing I had to do as a student at this Anglican seminary, Wycliffe College, was to conduct services, chapel services for the students, like all the other students, on rotation. And this is the Anglican Book of Common Prayer passage on confession. I'm not big on reading prayers, but listen to this prayer. If you, if you need a prayer to help you along, a written prayer, listen to this. This is what you pray every time you gather in that context. Almighty and most merciful Father, we have erred and strayed from thy ways like lost sheep. We have followed too much the devices and desires of our own hearts. Let me stop there. We have followed too much the devices. Isn't that what it says? We have followed too much the devices and desires of our own hearts. We have offended against thy holy laws. We have left undone those things which we ought not to have done, and there is no health in us. But thou, O Lord, have mercy upon us, miserable offenders. Spare thou those, O God, who confess their faults. Restore thou those who are penitent. 
According to thy promises declared unto mankind in Christ Jesus our Lord, and grant, O merciful Father, for his sake, that we may hereafter live a godly, righteous, and sober life to the glory of thy holy name. Amen. You think we ought to pray more prayers like that? It's in the synagogue. It's in many of the traditional churches. Now, many of the traditional churches have gone off the deep end. <laughs> I'm not sure they believe what they're saying. I'm, I'm, there's a remnant in every church, believe me. In some places, a huge remnant. But I think we need to pray more prayers like that. So I'm urging us tonight. Go to the tent of meeting. Go to the tabernacle or the temple. In your meeting with God, let his word, let the scriptures be a mirror. Be honest before God. And when the word reveals a sin, confess it quickly and say, I agree with you, Lord. You know, the Greek word for confession in the New Testament is homologeo, which simply means, I agree. <laughs> You're right, Lord. You're right. When we confess, we don't confess sins that God doesn't know about, and we reveal them to him. He knows them all along. We just simply say, I agree, Lord. You were right. Psalm 32, verse 5. Then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. What happens if we neglect our daily confession? Exodus 30, verse 17 is pretty scary, but let me read it. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, You shall also make a laver of bronze, with its base also of bronze, for washing, and shall put it between the tabernacle of meeting and the altar, and you shall put water in it. For Aaron and his sons shall wash their hands and their feet in water from it. When they go into the tabernacle of meeting, or when they come near the altar to minister, to burn an offering made by fire to the Lord, they shall wash with water, lest they die. Lest they die. <laughs> uh, are we talking about something serious this evening? I, I think we are. Yes, God will still love you, but if you keep on sinning and not confess these sins, not acknowledging that God hates that, those sins, not acknowledging that if we keep on sinning, we're going to be separated from God, certainly spiritual death will happen, and ultimately it'll be physical death as well. We will surely die if we continue to leave sin unconfessed and unrepented. It says in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 and 2, In latter times, some will depart from the faith, speaking lies in hypocrisy, having their own conscience seared with a hot iron. That imagery of searing with a hot iron is like something hot on your skin which burns you and leaves a scar, and that scar creates a numbness so that you don't feel anymore the effects of whatever is touching your skin. And this is what happens to people who do not confess their sins regularly. They become numb to sin's reality. Their consciences become scarred and hardened and they don't even realize they're sinning in many cases. 
That's a scary thought. And what will happen? Latter times, some will depart from the faith because of that. Living, New Living Translation puts it this way. These people are hypocrites and liars, and their consciences are dead. And there's more. Not only will you find yourself distant and separated from God, but you will no longer sense his presence. And you will not communicate in a two-way street with God. He'll start to distance himself from you as we distance ourselves from him. It says this in Isaiah chapter 1, verse 15, When you spread out your hands, I will hide my eyes from you. Even though you make many prayers, I will not hear. Your hands are full of blood. We need to wash our hands in the washing basin by confessing our sins. But what happens if washing is our daily habit? I believe that we'll start to see the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. Let me read what the works of the flesh are, and then let me tell you what the works of the Spirit are, or the fruit of the Spirit are. Galatians 5, 19. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Now think of these things and see if you fit any of these, if, if, if your sins look like any of these. <laughs> Adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murder, drunkenness, revelries, and the like, of which I tell you beforehand, just as I also told you in time past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But, verse 22, the fruit of the Spirit and this is what I think will happen is as we regularly confess our sins and repent, put ourselves back on that altar as a living sacrifice and determine to live for God. This is what's going to happen. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And against such, there is no law. And those who are the Messiahs have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another or envying one another. And what is our part in the sanctification process? This ongoing process of becoming holier and more like Yeshua and having the evidence of the fruit of the Spirit operating in our lives. Well, we're commanded to do some things. 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 1. Beloved, let us cleanse ourselves. Well, I thought, no, no, it's Yeshua that cleanses us. No, it, in this passage it says, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. We've got some things to do to change our lifestyle so that we will be more pure and holy and ready to serve the Lord as priests. James chapter 5, verse 16 says, it's a command, confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. Some of us are not healed emotionally or even physically 
Because we have not confessed our sins. That's what the Bible teaches. Now, some of us are really good at confessing sins, confessing the sins of others. One to another, even. But it says here, confess your sins one to another. It's not just an individual matter, but it's also corporate. (laughs) Confession of sins is another one of those one another commands in the New Testament. That's why community is so important. And building a small group of trusted friends who keep confidences, people that you can share your deepest errors, sin, missing the mark, so that you may be healed. It's interesting that I mentioned earlier about the the laver having, according to the Talmud at least, it says that there were at least four spouts coming out from the laver. So that Aaron and his three sons could all be there at once. (laughs) Speaking of the corporate confession, we're all going to confess our sins. And if they confessed them out 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 loud, they would have hurt each other at the labor. Interesting. What's God's part in the washing cycle? It says this in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 23 and 24. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful, who also will do it. You know, Yeshua said, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. It's easy. Obeying God is easy. (laughs) Obeying your law is easy. No, it's hard if you try to do it by yourself. But here we see that God is faithful who will also do it. He sanctifies us. He makes us holy. And it's those Holy Spirit that empowers us to be overcomers. It's Yeshua himself who sent the Spirit to make us overcomers. God himself will do it if we trust in him. So I bring this to a conclusion to remind you of our role in this world. It's not just to prosper. It's not just to have a family and produce children. And it's not just to have a great career. But we are called to be a kingdom of priests. Serving God standing in the gap for others and living a holy life so that when people hear us proclaim the truth and the good news, they will see that that thing, that good news works. That it changes, it's changed us and will be the fragrance of, of life to people because we have the character of Yeshua as a holy priest. 1 Peter 2, 9 and 10. But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, who were once not a people, but now the people of God, who have not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. So I say to all of us tonight, maybe some of you 
are feeling the conviction of the Spirit and recognizing some sinful thoughts and practices or things you ought to have done and have not done, and that's also sin. It's missing the mark. I want to say tonight that God is in this place and he's the God of mercy. We who once were not a people and couldn't obtain mercy have now obtained mercy. And then 1 John 1, 9 says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. This is an opportunity tonight to get back into the work that God's called you to do as a priest. Come to the labor. Say, Lord, I have sinned. I have been distracted. I have not been focused on my calling and my purpose on this planet. Get me back, Lord. And he would say to us tonight, draw near to me, and I will draw near to you. Oh, Lord, help us. Any of us who have wandered away from our career, our chief career as priests. Help us, Lord, to get back to your tabernacle via your labor that we might come boldly into your presence by the work that Yeshua has done and by us living lives worthy of the position being justified and new creations we pray in Yeshua's name.